you know, what George Harrison's original idea that he was kicking around uh, in early 1970 was the idea of having a house band at, uh, at, uh, at Apple. You know, Apple was a going concern in terms of record labels. And uh, the idea for them, the idea that he had, and, and interestingly, by early 1970, he's kind of the Beatle who cares about Apple. <laughs> Um, uh, because uh, at, at this point, you know, Paul has, well, is suing the others, right? Um, and, and, and he has sort of drifted off into his own space. Uh, John is making some very interesting records, so is Ringo. But it's really George who is the A&R guy for Apple. And he's working with Badfinger, right? And, uh, and all sorts of folks like that. Um, anyway... <laughs> It's just a very uh, interesting uh, space and, and time. So he's trying to create this house band, and he was thinking of it like uh, Hitsville, USA, or or the Wrecking Crew. You know, a, 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 a steady stream of musicians that they could go to for this project or that project or what have you. So he was working in that vein, and hence when you had. Carl Rattle, Bobby Whitlock, um, you know, the guys who were hanging out with Eric, right? Jim Gordon. Um, these folks seem to him like good candidates uh, for being this house band. So they play on several tracks uh, on All Things Must Pass. And then they get to June 1970. And that's about the time when Eric realized that he wanted to go off with these guys and have another band. Because as you, you probably know, Eric, uh, in serial fashion, moved from band to band to band to band, never quite sticking around very long. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Today, we are getting off the Bruce train uh, and going to a friendship episode and a book review and meeting with one of my previous guests, one of my favorite people, uh, Kenneth Womack. Kenneth, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's glad to be, I'm glad to be back with you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we, uh, Ken was on earlier uh, this year. We talked about John Lennon and his uh, untimely death. And, uh, you know, Ken is uh, kind of a Beatles expert and his new book, deals with that kind of in a different perspective. But before we get to that, why don't you tell, in case someone didn't hear the other episode, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I am a professor of English and popular music at Monmouth University, where I teach courses on the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen. And uh, I've written several books about the Beatles, including uh, this latest one, All Things Must Pass Away, Harrison Clapton and other assorted love songs, which I co-authored with uh, my good friend, uh, writer and photographer, Jason Krupa. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, we, I'm always fascinated and I, I know we will spend some more time talking about how you weave, you know, pop culture and the rock music into American history and all your other stories. But this one is, it, it's, and, and you're kind enough to send me a review copy. And so I, I've started it and it's, you're kind of doing a dual story of George Harrison and Eric Clapton and kind of how their origin stories and then how they weave together. Is, is that a fair summary? Um, that is a very fair summary. Uh, and of course they had, one of those our our most important rock and roll friendships that impacted both of their careers, and of course it was it was a sentimental one too. It wasn't just a, a professional relationship, but but one that of course impacted rock and roll in lots of interesting ways. And what made you think? What what got you the idea to do this to t- tell this story? Well, you know it. It wasn't the kind of standard love triangle involving Patty Boyd uh, that brought me to this subject, but rather the fact that these two highly influential musicians and songwriters uh, made what are arguably their two most important musical statements in the same summer of 1970. Uh, And at times with mostly the same band. Uh, I find very, very interesting. Um, and of course, those albums are All Things Must Pass by Harrison, which is his big solo Beatles mega statement. And uh, Layla and other assorted love songs uh, by Derek and the Dominoes, which for many listeners is Eric's best album. So um, it was interesting to me that there was this confluence of events taking place. Uh, and of course, it has all sorts of repercussions, right? You've got um, a whole decade of classic rock uh, that really is set into motion by albums like these. Um, you know, they, they're albums that Bruce Springsteen would have listened to, right? You know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, enormously influential. Um, they help create the sound of the 1970s. Um, and, uh, to me, that was just too interesting to pass up, to go back to that time and place and try to understand, uh, how all these folks got together in in very similar times and spaces. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, as I said, I've just started the book and, and I'm enjoying it immensely. I'm the idea that they did a lot of the same work together, the same bands, now, these albums were recorded in the UK? Um, no, actually. Uh, so the entirety of All Things Must Pass was recorded in yeah. the UK, much of it at Abbey Road Studios and Studio okay. 2, a room that, of course, George Harrison knew very, very well. Exactly, yes. Uh, and then, of course, um, uh, but, but Layla was recorded in the United States at Criterion Studios in Miami. Uh, by a veteran uh, Atlantic uh, records producer named Tom Dowd. Uh, But of course, an American participated in All Things Must Pass, uh, the inimitable Phil Spector, who co-produced with George Harrison. Well, and the reason I asked is I'm a huge fan of the documentary, The Wrecking Crew. And, and, you know, and, and the, the, 
mystique of that California band that um, as a Beach Boy fan, I loved seeing when they did the movie Love and Mercy, you know, you saw a fictional representation of Brian working with the wrecking crew and this, this generation of, you know, studio musicians that played on everything. Um, And so that's why I was making sure that this, while it was similar bands, it wasn't this case of like studio musicians, correct? Well, um, yes and no. Now uh, what's interesting is, and I have made this, comparison myself many times you know what george harrison's original idea that he was kicking around uh in early 1970 was the idea of having a house band at uh at uh at apple you know apple was a going concern in terms of record labels right right and uh the idea for them the idea that he had and and interestingly by early 1970 He's kind of the beetle who cares about Apple. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, because uh, at, at this point, you know, Paul has, well, is suing the others, right? Um, and, and, and he has sort of drifted off into his own space. Uh, John is making some very interesting records, so is Ringo. But it's really George who is the A&R guy for Apple. And he's working with Badfinger, right? And, uh, and all sorts of folks like that. Um, anyway, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's just a very uh, interesting uh, space and, and time. So he's trying to create this house band. And he was thinking of it like uh, Hitsville, USA, or, or the Wrecking Crew, you know, a, 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 a steady stream of musicians that they could go to for this project or that project or what have you. So he was working in that vein. And hence, when you had um, Clint Rattle, uh, Bobby Whitlock, sorry, Carl Rattle, Bobby Whitlock, um, you know, the guys who were hanging out with Eric, right, Jim Gordon, um, these folks seemed to him like good candidates uh, for being this house band. So they play on several tracks uh, on All Things Must Pass, and then they get to June 1970, and that's about the time when Eric realized that he wanted to go off with these guys and have another band, because as you you probably know, Eric, uh, in serial fashion, moved from band to band to band to band, never quite sticking around very long. Yeah, and in fact, you know, I uh, in your introduction, you had set up um kind of where we were at going and i sent you a link to another podcast where the history of rock and roll and 500 songs by andrew hickey and he had just discussed um you know a lot of what you mentioned the introduction in one of his episodes which i was like oh wow this is pretty cool i i think this is a fascinating time you know this early 70s and we're trying to the transition to, you know, at what we now call classic rock, right? In that 70s, trying to find the music. And you you hit on that, you know, here's two very influential albums coming out in the summer that kind of adjusted the course of where this rock and roll river is going to go. Absolutely. And, um, you know, they're, they're doing it 
in they're both very guitar oriented records yes um they're both uh you know big out they're big studio productions <laughs> you know clapton's records two two records harrison's is a triple album um they'll have different sorts of fates you know uh all things must pass will be a runaway success layla has always been a kind of slow slow burn I think it was uh, number 16 or something of that ilk, but only barely. Uh, and it, it would get a different comebacks uh, over the years, including an early one in 72 when it would get uh, a kind of revival and it will have many of them. And for some listeners, it has become uh, or it is considered the, the more accomplished of the two records. I think they need to go back and listen again. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there is something expansively self-indulgent about both records, but certainly about Layla. But anyway, um, yeah, they absolutely uh, inspire this whole era, right? And they're happening at the same time as the Allman Brothers and, you know, the Rolling Stones are at the height of their powers. You know, they're working on sticky fingers at this point. Um, you just have so much uh, excitement uh, in the offing. Led Zeppelin is hitting their stride. So you mentioned in early in the book that in a lot of ways it it is, I, I don't want to use the wrong word, but almost ironic that George is called the quiet beetle because as a youngster, when he was first starting, he was someone who who did talk a lot, who was very active. I did not know that. So that was something new I learned in, in starting the book. Are there things, because you are considered a Beatles expert, you know, I say that with air quotes, but it, the reality is this, you have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort in this band. Was there things that you learned in your research of this kind of friendship love story that surprised you? Um, I, I suppose the, the parts that were most interesting to me were really involved the psychology of the main characters or the main players. Yeah. You start to understand how they were brought up. A lot of things make a certain kind of sense, right? So, George wasn't the quiet beetle. George was very self-assured, very confident and talked a lot um, and was very comfortable sharing his ideas with, uh, with folks. And, uh, but he was brought up arguably in the healthiest of all the Beatles households. He had a really great family and a great upbringing. Uh, they weren't rich by any stretch, but none of the, <laughs> none of the Beatles were right uh, in those early days. And uh, uh it, it really allowed him to be often the bigger person in a number of situations. Whereas Eric um, was the product of familial abandonment. Um, and of course, continued this for many years. I mean, it, it's armchair psychology on the one hand, but there's no doubt that uh, on several occasions, he is breaking up bands before they have a chance to become anything close to permanent. I guess his longest streak at this point was with cream, right. For three years or so. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, he, he can't wait to get out. He's, he's the kind of guy who breaks up preemptively. 
So you have his situation and then Patty Boyd, who whose upbringing is very similar to, to Eric's in terms of familial turmoil. So I learned a lot that I didn't know about those two and how their experiences connected with, uh, with George's. One thing that, that does fascinate me about folks from that period is, you know, until Clapton gets to the point where he becomes this kind of heroin casualty for several years, like George Harrison, he just works all the time. It's incredible how driven so many of these folks are. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's almost exhausting to read and learn about them. Well, and one of the things that you talk about is both of these were driven to be better musicians. It was about the guitar and making the instrument perform and getting better at it. Um, and I, I think, cause a lot of times, and, and I don't want to overemphasize, but you know, you, you have dreams of being a, a successful musician or a rock and roll star or whatever, you know, fame and fortune. But in a lot of ways, uh, these guys just wanted to be good guitar players. I, I think that's true. Um, you know, and you can hear it in, uh, especially in their shared interest in the instrument, right? Yes. Uh, you know, while um, Eric, for example, had several professional relationships, George was this guy he could talk about music with, right? He could talk very specifically about guitars. And, um, and, and that was meaningful for him. And, that, and that's really, at least from his side, where that relationship started. Although, as, as I guess you know now, right, part of the thing that um, was of concern for George was he could tell this guy was lonely. And he actually felt a little sorry for Eric. Yeah. You know? um, and uh, you can see his upbringing in that because George was raised that way by Harry and Louise Harrison mm-hmm. you know, to be a good person, a caring person. And, and he certainly was. And, you know, I, I'm thinking along the lines that in Bruce's born to run his autobiography, he talked about, there was a period in his life where he, and he talked about this on Western stars, where if you cared about him, he would hurt you or break away from you before you had the chance to hurt him um and as you're describing eric's relationship with bands i i i see a similarity pattern i don't know if that was the exact reason or if he just got bored quickly but it does seem this based on his childhood and as you said i don't want to do armchair psychology but you could almost see that couldn't you 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 can and and it's interesting that you bring up that about Bruce because of course those early years for him uh, particularly with uh, the different households etc and his his own father and stories about them they do sound similar to uh, some of what um, some of what Eric was experiencing right Um, yeah he, he wanted to get out before he got hurt and Eric you see him preemptively doing this over and over again Right before he begins to work on the material for Derek and the Dominoes, there's an incredible story where, you know, Blind Faith has had this huge album in 1969. It's a super group, right? And uh, they're about to play this huge outdoor concert. 
the first notes they're going to play in public. And Eric is thinking, I've just got to break up this band. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about a buzzkill that's taking place in his head. You know, it's there uh, for sure, where he's just thinking in this way. Um, and it, you know, it, it does tear at your heart a little bit to read this because, you know, you sort of you start to understand what these folks are going through. And, and these are things that, you know, maybe, maybe time can fix to a certain extent. But when you read somebody like Bruce's autobiography or, or, or certainly Eric's, you realize that these are lifelong afflictions. You know, no, no amount of fame can make those better. Yeah. And I, I also think it's that it, once again, it's the magic and Bruce in his uh, Broadway show talks about, you know, one plus one equals three. And that's the magic of what a band is. And, and I think you see that over and over again, while certainly people can have good solo work and, and ex exciting work and even in some ways commercially more successful but there is something about that group that when you get together there is it the sum is greater than the parts that's right and 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 art is driven by these kinds of qualities right like it or not um, yeah you know let's uh take john lennon <laughs> whose uh childhood was as rough as anyone's, um, you know, he said, there are reasons why I'm a performing flea, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. why he's out there doing that. Yeah. I, I remember uh, Mike Myers was in some interview and this was right around, I guess, um, when he was uh, voicing the animated, you know, uh, the org and all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank and you know that the character's name but he he was talking about that you know all the the need to be loved and to entertain people came from this very deep place and there is a lot of uh, a lot of that with with entertainers not just musicians um kevin pollack did yeah. go ahead yeah writers or you name yeah. it right? yeah because kevin pollack you know did a whole um a documentary where he talked to comedians about the their need to be loved and and is you know and the the pain of that and the and the drive that they've had um and i think that's in a lot of ways the, there is a, a lot of pain you pay for creative and that sounds like a cliche but i think there's a reason why it's a cliche don't you think ken uh absolutely um you know that that's true it is a cliche but there's you mean about art and and trauma yes yeah absolutely i mean look you know so many of our greatest artists are are trying to write themselves out of a problem they'll never solve. You know, the world of literature is absolutely pocked with those, um, you know, et cetera. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, it's one of the great truisms. It's a cliche, but it's also a truism, right? Um, about that world. So um, 
I, I think we can see that, you know, so then you ask yourself, well, what is right? What is a guy like George Harrison trying to write himself out of when he has so much, um, so much working for him, right? In terms of upbringing, and he doesn't seem to have any psychological trauma. And yet he writes these songs that are so affecting. And when you, when you look at his story, well, it's right there in his early 20s, right? He's in the biggest band of all time. And, uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, the biggest band of all time. And, <laughs> and yet he's the third banana, right? Yes. <laughs> to the two biggest bananas in the history of songwriting, certainly commercial popular songwriting. What a what a place, what a world, you know, um, that's going on. So, yeah, there was a documentary on the Eagles and that they talked about that when you had Don Henley and Glenn Fry singing lead, that it was hard to get another like you weren't going to give lead to a couple of the other, like Randy Meisner had some and others, because when you've got two such strong, you know, lead vocalists, you've got Harris, you know, you've got Harrison, but you know, you've got Lennon McCartney, which many people would rank as among the greatest songwriters of all times. Right. And no matter what genre, much less rock and roll. And you share a little bit about that early. George's songwriting problem wasn't up to their level, but he was trying and getting better. And later it showed he did have that muse similar to theirs, isn't it? Yeah, it would be. Um, There's a. You know, there's when you look at, at folks like this, particularly like Harrison, it's interesting uh, that that I think the ex Beatles do most of their best work closest to the time when they were in that band. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it, you know, whether it's Imagine or Plastic Ono Band or even Band on the Run is only 1973 or Ram or the McCartney solo album. Uh, certainly Ringo's best record is recorded in the fall of 1972. So, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's such a feckoned time. And I think we get to Clapton in the nick of time here because, of course, um, he's already, thanks to his experience with Derek and the Dominoes, by 1971, he is a wreck. Um, he is barely able to make it to the concert for Bangladesh, um, which Patty and George practically have to carry him to New York to do. Uh, you know, he is just in such a mess. Now, he'll later say that that had a lot to do with this love for Patty Boyd. But of course, you know, whatever was broken was already broken there. Yeah. Um, so name of the book, All Things Must Pass Away. Harrison Clapton and other assorted love songs uh, available anywhere you can get a book, uh, local bookstores, and also online. Um, it is a fascinating book. I, I am I am so enjoying reading it, and I cannot wait to kind of dive into it and keep reading it with you. Um, let's move to Bruce just a little bit. A uh, lot going on with Bruce this year. Uh, between a podcast with a former president uh, 
they are now they're making a book out of that. Uh, the No Nukes concert coming out, they're going to release that. Uh, just give me some thoughts on, you know, Mr. Springsteen and what's going on this year. Well, I, you know, talk about a guy who's very busy, invariably so, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> and with his family too, you know, the Olympics, <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. You know, it's uh, it's a never-ending story. Um, uh, it, it seems like we're very fortunate to have new material from him all the almost every year, uh, at some level or another. I'm sure he's going to be active when it's safe to be active again and to be out into the world. You know, here on the shore, uh, we're so fortunate that he often shares his time with uh, surprise appearances. You know, at this event or that event, right. um, but. Uh, uh, it will be wonderful to see him take the full band on the road again, which I'm understanding we're going to see next year. Correct. That's the rumor. And he has said that, that they plan to get back on. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I'm saving my pennies. Um, I had shared on the podcast earlier that as we're recording this, it's the 1st of August on Saturday, July 31st, I went to Port David's pub, which is a wonderful venue here in the Dallas area and a singer songwriter that I have known since 87, Sarah Hickman played. Um, and it was the first live act I've seen since COVID. And it was such a joy being in a venue, hearing someone sing music and and to have the audience next to you and in the energy of the show um and it was a small little venue i mean poor david's pub maybe a couple hundred people can be in it and it was a good show she did a great job she went all over her uh catalog and it was a good audience but it was just so exciting to be back at that and it kind of made me go man what are we going to do when we get like the E Street Band touring and got me very excited. Have you had a chance to go and see anything live yet? Gosh, you know what? I'm thinking now. Um, I have not. Uh, okay. I, you know, I would like to uh, at some point. Um, we're being pretty careful around here. Sure. Um, uh, I know that it <laughs> it may not be the best way to to uh, find my way in this experience, but I am thinking about going to see Genesis in December, but we'll see, you know, we might be in a, another version or space associated with this pandemic by then. Right. You know? Yeah. So we were, I was pretty impressed. They, they asked us to wear masks uh, except when you were drinking. Um, And so, and most people obeyed that I, I, you know, when we were in the audience, uh, we had masks and um, it, there was not distance seating. Everyone was, you know, like in a normal venue, you know, sitting next to each other, but everyone did wear masks and uh, it was, you know, it was worth the risk to me. Both my wife and I have been vaccinated. So we are like, okay, there was a little worry on Linda's part, like on the drive down, they're like, should we be doing this? I'm like, yes, yes, I need to hear live music. And then we ended up having a blast and she was said, I'm so glad I went. Uh, so 
I think it's smart to be, you know, to be as cautious and as healthy as you can, but it is, my soul needed this, Ken. I, that's the only other way I could put it, right? I just uh-huh. needed to hear live music. Did you feel safe? Yes, I did. I did. Well, I felt very safe. That's a very important part for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are you working on next? What's next? What's either at school or in the next book? Well, just getting ready to, uh, you know, get things rolling here at school. Um, we're looking forward to a, a very, um, a very, hopefully very promising year with people being able to be back together again. You know, we've been teaching much of our courses online, um, but uh, nothing as we've now all learned really replaces, right? <laughs> it doesn't it, uh, in face-to-face experience. So um, yeah. we're hoping to see you out here. Yes. Uh, in 2022 for our Springsteen conference. Yes. I am very much looking forward to that. I, I am, you know, I was, I was, I think it was right that we delayed it. Um, but yeah, there is uh, coming up in 2022. We're going to do a, a, you know, there at the university, this big conference, and you guys were kind enough to, um, we were just talking about, talking with Ed, you know, we're going to do a, a Springsteen podcast roundtable, uh, which I think is just going to be fascinating to have, you know, there's like four or five of us that do Springsteen podcasts. We're hoping to get uh, as many as possible there and kind of do a roundtable and talk about this and try to do some live episodes where we can record. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to just attending and being part of this. Cause I think it's going to be a great celebration of Bruce's music. Well, it, it certainly will be. And of course we're extending it um, not just merely to include the river at this point, right. But given that it will be in 2022, you know, also to look at Nebraska. Yeah. Which I think is just going to be fascinating and that's great. Right. So it'll need to be like a 10 day conference. Probably. Yeah, there, exactly. There we go. Uh, yeah, it will. Uh, and long is almost one of uh, Springsteen's Madison Square Garden, you know, uh, tours like where he's you know, like like where he's doing a whole set where he's doing that. That's what it's going to be like. This is great. Um, so do you have are you got a gym for your next book? <laughs> well, I, I'm working on some things and uh, maybe we could have another call about that soon. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I always look forward to it. If I'm Our, sensible. There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's things. All things must pass away. Harrison Clapton and other assorted love songs, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you can get it in any format. Um, if someone wants a signed copy, is there a way to get that now? Oh, if you just get in touch with me, I'm happy to send folks one. I know that the uh, the Fest for Beatles fans um, also has many signed copies at their website, too. But okay, I'm always happy to help out. Well, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, through my website, everythingfab4.com. All right. Very nice. Um, Ken, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I always enjoy visiting with you. Um, the book is fascinating. I, I, I love, I would not have put these two together, even though once you bring it up, it's like, duh, of course we should bring them up together. So thank you for letting me think of this a little different way. And thank you for joining me. It's a blast.
Uh, thanks for everything you do. All right, listeners, you stay safe. Uh, go get vaccinated. Go remember to wear your mask. Let's all be good to each other because that's how we're going to get through this. For now, thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. Said Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.